It occurred to me that we are halfway through this enough series, wrestling with this idea of enough and that we are enough when God looks at us just the way we are. Um, so we're two messages down. We got two more to go. Two weeks ago, we jumped in uh, exploring some of Jesus' teaching on the way in which our hearts are attached to money, to our things, to dreams and hopes for money and things. Um, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so we were wrestling with this idea of what we treasure, what we desire, what we adore in our lives, and the way our hearts are attached very deeply to those um, things. Sometimes we cherish the ways of God, sometimes we cherish God himself, but often we cherish things that distract us from God and from his way. And then last week, um, Wendy got up here and she threw it down, some, some great teaching on um, simplicity, the spiritual practice of simplicity, of living simpler lives, living with less by choice so that we can make more room in our life for God and for God's way and his priorities. And Wendy shared something that, um, that struck me as very uh, deep, deeply insightful. Uh, and I have spent a lot of time this past week sort of wrestling through it. So something that I think um, it was like I wanted to just highlight it while she was talking, like shine a big light and be like, what she's talking about right here, this is something I think that we all need to get our hearts in our minds around. And it's something that I feel like God has been pushing into my mind and into my heart uh, this past week that God gave us spiritual practices of Sabbath, lots of different spiritual practices, but Sabbath and silence and fasting and simplicity she talked about last week. These abstinence practices, these practices where we give up work and words and food and our pursuit for stuff and collecting things. But he didn't give them to us as rules to follow. He didn't give them to us so that then he could look at us and see if we measure up. So that how are you doing with the spiritual practices? Are you good enough for me? Are you good enough for God? That's not why God gave us these things. God gave us these spiritual practices as gifts to us to help us see what he sees, the stuff that's going on inside of us, to use these spiritual practices as a way to become more aware and to see what he sees that's going on inside of our hearts. That when you practice Sabbath, you're not a better Christian. When you, um, when you buy less things or you sit in silence or you, uh, you give up food for a time, that doesn't make you a better person. Not like you're more holy in some sort of way. That we use those spiritual practices to go without, to say no to ourselves, and we have the opportunity to begin to see how our heart reacts to having less to stepping away, to taking breaks from things, and to see in our hearts what God um, sees, the fears and the pain and the brokenness that drives us in so many ways uh, in our lives. That God wants to set us free from all of that stuff, but he can only set us free if we're willing to look at it, if we're willing to acknowledge it and to begin to wrestle with what is going on inside of us. And one of the ways that we do that is through these spiritual practices. So um, before we get into the topic today, uh, we, our goal as a teaching team and as we're processing through different ideas and learning things as a church is to take time to not just hear what someone up here has to say, but to take time to reflect a little bit, to not just hear, but then figure out what am I supposed to do with this? Maybe what is God saying to me through all of this stuff? And so we're gonna take a few minutes here 
to reflect on actually something that I ran into um, from Jan Johnson in her book, Abundant Simplicity, which we've talked about the last couple of weeks. Uh, it's a, it was an exercise or a practice that she uh, kind of threw in in the midst of um, talking about generosity. And, and so we're going to take some time to, um, to do this activity that she had. So I'm going to give you a piece of paper here. Okay, first thing to say, there's two sides to this piece of paper, all right? So one side is, not, is the not now side. <laughs> the one side has all, uh, I was trying to conserve um, paper here. So one side has uh, the experiments or the experiences. So each week we have been giving you uh, a list of experiments or experiences, things to try out through the course of the week that um, connect with what we're teaching or what we're wrestling through as a church. So one side has the experiences on it. We, we're in week three, so that bottom section, at the bottom of the page, week three, that's, those are the exercises for this week. So what you are already doing and tempted to do is to read through those experiences um, while I'm talking. So here's what I would like to request, that you flip the page over. So if you get really bored while I'm talking, then you can go to those experiences and read down through that stuff. But um, what, I would, what we're going to do right now is actually focus on the other side of the page. Um, first of all, I need to say I'm sorry, lo siento, um, because I did not have this stuff translated into Spanish. And um, this, this messed with me this morning because I realized how easy it is for, um, could somebody get a piece of paper for Iris back there? Thank you. Um, we're committed to being a multi-ethnic church. We're committed, as uh, Iceland said, to reflect in the way we function as a church in the languages that are represented in our community and to grow in our understanding and our capacity to be a multi-ethnic church, committed to reflecting the beautiful diversity of our community. And, and so that means we're wrestling through what does it look like to make sure Spanish, particularly, is really a part of what we're doing. And one of the things that means is that we have a, Span a translator, we have Iris in the back that translates for us, um, but also that we make things available in Spanish when we can. And I realized I didn't even cross my mind, which is so frustrating to me, that I didn't have this, these experiences the last few weeks translated into Spanish for you guys. So I apologize for that. Um, and then the exercise for today. So Iris will kind of talk through while we're having our quiet time, but I really apologize that, um, that I don't have this in Spanish for you guys. So, all right, I hope you know I love you and this is something we're growing in, something we're working on, and it's, uh, it's really important to us. So, all right, so at the top of, um, if you're on the right side of the page, at the top of the page, it says money helps me. So that's the side you want to be on, the top that says money helps me. So under that, statement are six different um, phrases to reflect on. I'm going to give you some time to reflect on these. Uh, now you might be tempted to just kind of read down through those and let your mind um, wonder, but I would like for you to focus on those statements and try to listen to what's going on inside of yourself a little bit. Listen to your heart, listen to your emotions, what maybe um, God is trying to say to you through your emotions. Uh, as you read those, and maybe there's one or two of those that really kind of stir something in you, just spend some time processing through that. What does money, how does money help you? In your mind, the money that you have or the money that you wish you had, how does money help you? And what kind of stirs inside of you? Because these are the kind of things that God wants us 
um, to see. So take a couple of minutes. I'm going to give you a couple minutes to just reflect, read down through there, and um, take some notes if you want. Money helps me control my life. Money helps me feel important. Money helps me get newer, faster, better stuff. Money helps me reduce my fears. Money helps me avoid unwanted feelings. Money relieves, helps me relieve restlessness and boredom. Lord, I, uh, <clears throat> I pray that you would open our eyes to the things within us, our hearts, our motivations, the way that um, the fears, the difficult emotions, um, the trauma that we face, the things that are still inside of us, within us, that you would help us to see those things and the way that they affect how we interact with money, with things, with possessions, how we use our time, how we use our energy, how we interact with people, that Everything in our external life is sort of shaped by these things within us, and so many of those things we're not even aware of, Lord. And so we ask that you would open our eyes. Help us to see what you see, because I know, God, that you long to set us free from those things, to help us live lives that acknowledge that we have value and beauty and worth, that we are enough, that you've created us in such a good way and that you want us to know that so that we're free of the burdens and the difficulty and the pain that we experience so often and can live with you and with your family in a kind of peace that just blows our mind, that does not make sense, a peace from God, from you. So I pray uh, as we do these simple little practices and exercises and experiments and the things that we do during the week that you would just continue to open our eyes, help us to see what you see, help us to... Um, love ourselves and love one another the way that you love us, Lord. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. So while I ran, when I ran into that list, those six things, um, I had a mixed response. Maybe you did too. Um, I, I can definitely relate to many of those things, all of them probably on any given day, um, many of them in the same day, like struggles with the things that are on that list. But I also felt like kind of annoyed with the author as I was reading that list because I was like, but what about all the good things that I do with my, what about all the positive things that come out of money and how I use money? And then I started thinking like maybe I should buy some other books to get away from these <laughs> negative feelings and like maybe I should use my money to not feel this ugly way that I'm feeling right now. She's, she's getting too close to home. So our hope through uh, this teaching series is to help us see the stuff that's going on inside of us, to really be reflective, to be a reflective people, a reflective church that are aware of uh, what's going on in our heart and the way our hearts are attached to money, to notice that how we use money reveals something about, about our hearts. So while that list from Jan Johnson, it's all about the unhealthy stuff, um, that list is not all good stuff. God wants us to free, wants to free us up from that, the sort of difficult, painful, unhealthy uh, relationship that we have with time and energy and money, to free us up to focus more on the good stuff, to allow the good stuff to, um, to come out of us. So last week, we looked at the value of going without things, of stopping, of giving things up, taking break from, um, from food and work and all those sorts of things, and particularly the idea of simplicity, of 
the way that we accumulate things and stepping away from that uh, in order to see what's going on in our heart. So simplicity, as Wendy talked about last week, it's about not doing. It's about the things that we decide not to do. Spiritual practices of abstinence, of saying, I'm not going to do this for a little while or for a period of time. Um, today, we're shifting and talking about doing. So that was not doing, so today we're talking about doing. We're talking about generosity, actually the way that we use our money in a positive um, sort of way, sharing our time and our energy and particularly our money and our possessions um, in ways that God wants us to. So um, I'm not sure if you've ever thought of generosity as a spiritual practice. So generosity is this idea of this sort of spiritual exercise, this spiritual practice that we do. I'm not sure that I've really thought of it that way in, uh, in particular through much of my life. Generosity is a very beautiful thing. It's one of the biggest themes and ideas that we encounter in scripture, that God is a generous God, that he's asking us to be generous um, people like him. But I'm not sure that I've thought of generosity as a spiritual exercise, as something I do to sort of live out my spirituality. Uh, because I, th I think I realize that to call something a spiritual practice, so to think of generosity as a spiritual practice, that's like a big deal. Like it should be a very short list. Some people put spiritual practices like uh, everything is on that. Everything is spiritual practice, whatever. But I, in my mind, like spiritual practice, it's got to be one of the really important things. So that's got to be a short list of things that we label as these sort of spiritual practices. Like, um, like the, the carry extra weight. So thinking of generosity as a spiritual practice is a, pushes me into the space where I start to think about it in a different sort of way. So as Wendy was teaching last week, this idea really started to sink in. And I feel like God was wanting me to really wrestle with this idea of generosity as a spiritual practice. And if we think of spiritual practices not as rules... So we're getting away from the idea that these spiritual things that we do, these are rules that God has given us to judge whether we're enough, to judge if we're good enough. Are you following the rules? That's the way we think of spiritual stuff so often. And if we're shifting away from that and saying spiritual practices are not about rule following, but these are gifts from God to help us live free lives, to become aware of what's going on inside of us, does generosity fit that definition? So sure, generosity... When I give something to somebody else, that's, that's a good thing. That's a gift. But is generosity, is Larry being generous a gift to Larry? So for if it's like saying, I give you a present, and by giving you a present, I receive a present. That's like an oxymoron kind of thing. Like, that doesn't fit really easily into my mind. That being generous, I know that's good for you or the people around me or the people that we're generous with. But is me being generous good for me? Does it do something deep and important inside of me? And that is what I really felt like God wanted me to press into this past week and study and process to try to see what he um, was trying to say um, to me. So, um, so to say that kind of concept another way, Wendy proposed last week that, to, that taking time to stop working, to stop eating, to stop the noise, to stop buying and accumulating things the way we often do, that stopping is a gift from God, that that is something that God has given to make our lives richer and as a blessing to us. So God invented Sabbath and fasting and silence and simplicity to help us. Is it also possible that God invented generosity as a way to help us? as a gift to us, as a mechanism to help us in some important sort of 
way as we seek to live our lives um, his way. Is me practicing generosity actually the best thing for me and you practicing generosity the best thing um, for you? So as I was um, searching through scripture, I was kind of wrestling through this idea and kept um, running, running into this idea. And I realized, like, I think I'm convinced now, as I was, as I was wrestling with, I think I'm convinced that God is brilliant. I've decided. <laughs> it's taken me how many ever years to finally realize, like, oh, yeah, God, you are, you are brilliant. That he invented, like, this is the God who invented flowers, who invented waterfalls, who invented stars, who invented smiles. That's this God. That that God also invented generosity as a kind of cure for a sickness that I think that we all have. A sickness that none of us actually wants to acknowledge that we have. We don't want to think that we do, but a sickness that we have and this gift from God to help us battle this sickness, this challenge that we, um, we all live with. So as I was searching through scripture, I, um, I kept running into the term selfish ambition. And Words and phrases very similar to that idea. Lots of concepts of selfishness, self-focus, self-interest, self-indulgence, self-orientation, like our just natural state is to focus on ourself. Lots of stuff that you're like, ugh, like that's no good. We shouldn't be like that. Clearly we shouldn't, but I'm not like that, right? I'm not selfish. Like this just kind of junk that we read about and scripture keeps going into it over and over and over again. It has a lot to say about our tendency to be selfish, to think of ourselves, to place ourselves over and above and before other people and the people around us. So the Apostle Paul uh, in, wrote a lot of um, Christian scripture, New Testament scripture, and he, uh, he seemed to like to make lists of bad stuff. There's just, I've just realized this. Whatever it is with Paul, he liked to make lists of bad stuff. So he, uh, in his letter to Christians in Galatia, he made a long list of bad stuff in his letter to them. Things like sexual immorality, hatred, witchcraft, drunkenness, jealousy. There's like a hundred things he made. Whatever it was, it was a really long list. Right in the middle of that list, he put selfish ambition. Witchcraft, bleh, and selfish ambition. <laughs> what? Like hatred and selfish ambition? Sexual morality and selfish ambition? Like what? Why did he put that in there in this sort of list of things that he describes as unhealthy. So uh, in another letter that um, he was writing to Christians in a different city in another place, um, Paul writes this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility, value yourselves uh, above other, excuse me, value other, there you go. Uh, it's just in us, it's just in there. It's just uh, revisionist eyes. This is the way we see things. Okay, let me start over here. All right, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And then he goes on, this is Philippians chapter two. He goes on to talk about Jesus and how Jesus modeled this for us. That as the son of God, he gave up his rights, he gave up the privileges, of being God, of being the son of God, and he took on a human body, and he died like a criminal, a criminal's death, that he modeled this. And Paul says there, do nothing, nothing out of selfish ambition, nothing. 
And then he explains himself, just in case we didn't get the selfish ambition phrase, right? like in case we like skipped over that or it didn't sink in or we were like, oh, that's not me. He says, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. Now, let's make a comparison. This is what comes, came into my mind as I was processing through this. On several occasions, Jesus talked about the most important commandments. You remember what he said? The first commandment is love God. The second commandment is equal to it. It's right up there with it. It's like the same thing, to love your neighbor as yourself. That the, in Jesus' mind, that everything hinges on that, loving God and loving our neighbors as yourself. So Jesus says, my love for others, for you guys, should be the same as my love for, for myself and my love for God. That that's what this is about. So Paul here, he like steps it up. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. In humility, value others above yourself. Jesus says, like, I need to love you the way I love myself and I love God. And Paul is like, come on, guys. We got this selfish tendency. We need to flip this. We need to value others above ourselves. Not looking to our own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. So in another letter that Paul was writing to another group of Christians in another city, he said, no one should seek their own good, but the good of others. So this stuff is, it's hard. Like, is he serious? Is Paul, was Paul serious when he was saying these things? Because these are difficult things for us to accept. And I'm just getting started. I could go through dozens of things. Jesus teaching, the prophets, the apostles, the early church leaders, on and on. Scripture is full of this talk of our selfishness, of our tendency to look to ourselves, to be self-focused, to think of ourselves before we think of others. It's over and over again in Scripture. In fact, you could make a case that the entire human situation could be summed up in this idea of selfishness and our tendency to look towards ourself first. And, by the way, it starts early. So, in the other room, we have kids' class, preschool class. There's a bunch of little kids um, playing and hanging out there. Some of you guys are volunteers in that class, so you c I think you could probably affirm what I'm about to say. You spend, like, a few minutes in there, you will hear somebody say, a little child normally, um, say, mine, mio, mio, mine, mine. Like, it happens really, and it's so cute for, like, a minute. And then you realize they're serious. Like, this is real. Like, the struggle, this, we are selfish, and it starts early. And I would love to think, I would, in my, like, best days, I would love to think that that's something we put off as children. That when we, as we grow up, that's only little kid talk. That that attitude of mine, mine, mio, mio, that is little kid stuff. But if you look at my life and your life, if we look through human history, as much as you want to look at human history, just go back through and you will realize the struggle is real. We are selfish. That is our tendency, every one of us. And if we're humble and willing to face it, even our good deeds, even the good things we do are mixed up with this sort of selfishness. It makes me think of a story. Um, you, maybe you've had this experience. Um, in, in a grocery store, this happens in grocery stores or pharmacies. I can't even, I purged the memory, actually. I don't even remember where it's happened. But where you'll get into the checkout line, and you'll get up to the cash register. Usually, inevitably, there's a crowd standing around you. And they will say something along the lines of, do you want to help starving children? 
Do you want to give a dollar to stop people with HIV AIDS from dying? Do you want, and they'll go, like, they'll just say something, and you're like, uh, yeah, yeah, uh. And so here's my mental process. And these are like fraction of seconds, kind of. You have these thoughts that just, like, it just happened. My first one is, I don't just give the organizations. I like to know what they're about. And is this money that I give actually going to make it to the kids or whatever? And, and so normally I'm more intentional about the way that I give. So my first instinct is no, but then, then this kicks in. Uh, what are they going to think if I say no? <laughs> Can I say no, I don't care about starving children? <laughs> I can't, no, I, how do I do this? Oh, there's also people watching, and they heard that phrase, and they're going to be like, mm-hmm, this guy doesn't care about starving children. <laughs> like, I am, sometimes I say no. Sometimes I say yes. If I say yes, I'll guarantee you it's almost always because I'm worried about what other people will think of me. So even our good moments where we're doing something that should be good is all mixed up with these things going on inside of us that, um, that aren't healthy, that are oriented around this sort of self-focus, this self-interest, that I tend to think about how it's going to affect me before I think about other people and what's going on in their lives. So uh, back to my question earlier. Is it possible that our brilliant God has a cure for this heart issue that we all suffer from? Is it possible that he completely understands what's going on inside of us in this struggle for us, our tendency to be selfish, and that as a gift he's given us something to help us combat that struggle? Generosity, maybe, as a way to combat that struggle. So Wendy mentioned last week that for, uh, for much of her life, she thought that God was mainly concerned with us doing the spiritual practices, things like Sabbath and fasting and silence, simplicity, generosity, like he was watching to see if we obey because he's measuring whether we're good enough or not. And the whole idea of this series is for us to realize we are good enough, whether we follow the rules, whether we do it right or wrong. We are good. He made us good enough. This is a gift from God that we are good enough, that that's not what this is about. And I think that I view generosity that way, that God told us to be generous. It's just something you're supposed to do. It's a thing that good people or Christians or whatever do. Give to the church, give to ministries, be generous with the people around you, obey. God said to do it, so do it. And I think I kind of just accepted generosity sort of like that. But um, as Wendy mentioned, it's true for me. I'm starting to see things a little differently as I recognize these things as gifts from God to help me see what's going on uh, in my heart. This whole idea of enough, looking at our hearts and processing through what's going on inside of us and using these spiritual practices as tools to, um, to help us. That God knows what's in there. He knows what's going on in my heart. That where my treasure is, my heart will be also. What's going on in our hearts so the spiritual practice of simplicity is a gift that helps um, us step away from things and see how our hearts react, see what goes on inside of us. What if generosity is the same sort of thing? So for years here, I was trying to figure out a way to say this. Um, so for years, here is what I thought. That God asked me to be generous, so I spend less on myself so that I can be generous. So I have a little bit left over at the end of the day to give. That's kind of how I was functioning. But I think, actually, maybe God wants to flip that script a bit. That I am generous so that I spend less on me. So there's left, left, less left over 
maybe, for me to spend on me. That I am generous first so that I break this cycle of selfishness that I'm trapped in. That I am generous as a priority because I need help with this thing of selfishness that I'm wrestling with. Now, it's not to say that our generosity doesn't accomplish good things in the world. We're going to talk about that a little bit later, and next week we're going to talk about some of that stuff, what happens when we're generous people. Um, but maybe more than anything else, or very a, an equivalent benefit, is that generosity transforms me. That maybe more than anything else, my generosity helps me see what's really going on in my heart. The way I cherish and treasure things and what money accomplishes for me. Maybe being generous is a path to being like Jesus, loving the way Jesus did, loving my neighbors the way he asked me to, living a life of sacrifice, a life that benefits the world around me. So uh, we're going to take a look at Isaiah 58, um, some things that God said. Now, this happened about 3,000 years ago or so, a little less than that. Um, God is talking to his people through his prophet Isaiah, and he says some really tough words. So if you spend some time sort of processing through the context and what is happening in Isaiah 58, um, you realize there's something there that I think is really important for us to see, but we need to, to recognize like the emotion and the anger and the frustration that we see in God's words. Um, so that the, the issue that we see going on is that um, God is ob observing his people and they're doing all this sort of spiritual stuff, but they don't really care about the people around them. They're not really concerned about um, the suffering and the difficult uh, situation experience that most people around them have. And they really don't lift a finger to do much about that. Uh, the crazy thing is that God acknowledges that his people are doing spiritual things. They're doing the spiritual stuff that he asked them to. They're worshiping, they're praying, they're fasting, they're doing spiritual stuff. But he's still frustrated, furious. As you, you, His words are, are really, really intense here. So I'm going to read uh, a portion of Isaiah 58 for you. And just want you to listen and try to get the picture that I think um, is being painted here for us. So, uh, Isaiah 58, starting in verse 1. Shout it aloud, God says. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of God. They ask me for just decisions. They seem eager for God to come near to them. Why have we fasted, God, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed, God? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please. Is this the kind of fast that I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed? For lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? So I hope you are starting to get the scene here. That God is acknowledging that his people are doing spiritual things, spiritual practices, spiritual stuff. They're seeking God out, they're looking to him, they're praying, they're fasting, and they're even surprised, like we're doing all these spiritual things, but you're not responding to us. God, why are you not answering our prayers? So catch what God says next. Is not this the kind of fast or think spiritual practice? Is this not... 
Is not this the kind of spiritual practice I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice, to set the oppressed free. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them, to not turn away from your own flesh and blood. So God's people are doing spiritual things, but they're missing the point of those spiritual things. Their hearts, something is going on in their hearts. They're doing the spiritual stuff as if the spiritual stuff was the point. As if doing spiritual things is what God is looking for, but that is not what God is looking for. We don't gain approval with God by doing spiritual things. The God in this moment is like, you're missing the point. The spiritual practices are there to help you see what's going on in your heart, to see your tendency to put yourself first, to think of yourself and forget the people around you. That's exactly what they were doing. And the spiritual practices are intended to help you become aware of that, the way in which we center ourselves on ourselves and forget about what's going on the people around us. And I think God is that same cry for us. Spiritual practices are a gift to open your eyes, to help us see what's going on in our hearts, the distractions of the world in our own brokenness, and to get us in touch with the God of the universe so that we're able to lift others up, to begin to combat the brokenness and the injustice in the world. So generosity is not about earning something from God. It's not about getting his approval or getting some kind of reward, which is oddly strikes me as a selfish sort of motivation. If I am generous, I'll get something from God. That seems like another version of selfishness to me. When I think that way, I'm convicted. I, am I really generous because the good and because the way God has called me to live, or am I generous because I'm hoping that he'll take away my fear or make me feel better in this way, or I'll feel like I'm enough, like I'm good enough, like I'm doing enough. That I am generous actually to combat my own self-focus and self-interest and my tendency to care about myself more than I do the things around me. That I'm generous to join God in his concern for the world, to make room in my life for his way, for his kingdom, for his love, that I'm not generous to get something from God. I am generous to become like my generous God. So there's two stories um, that jump out at me from Jesus' life. Uh, and as I was sort of processing and praying through all this stuff, these two stories kept coming um, to my mind. So on one occasion, um, Jesus is in the temple. And um, he, it's a funny kind of scene because he, uh, the story tells us that he's leaning against the wall. He's sitting against the wall. And he's people watching. So he's just like chilling out. He's rest, resting. And he's just watching people and what they do and what they say and just kind of observing. And uh, what's happening across the way from where he's sitting, uh, a lot of people are coming in, and a lot of rich people particularly are coming in, and they're putting their offering in the treasury, which is most likely some kind of box or secure area where they bring whatever their offering is, their money, their whatever they're bringing, and they put it in that box. So that scene is going on as Jesus is um, sitting here. It's kind of across from him. So Jesus calls his friends over, the disciples, calls them over, because there's something happening that he wants them to observe. That a bunch of um, lots, it says a lot, or many rich people are coming in, and they're throwing large amounts of money into this treasury box. 
Uh, and apparently, everybody can see how much they're putting into the box because he's observing that person, these people are giving a lot, they're putting a lot into the box. And then along comes a poor widow. She puts in two tiny little copper coins worth, scripture tells us, only a few cents, almost nothing. Truly, I tell you, Jesus said, this poor widow has put in more, has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Out of her poverty, she put in everything. And her somehow, and this, this is the stuff of God that is really difficult for us to get or to understand, somehow her two tiny coins worth like a few cents, in God's perspective, was worth more than all of the big giant offerings that the rich people gave, somehow. On another occasion, um, it's actually, I don't know particularly why, but a story that really stirs um, my heart. It's kind of on my top list of Jesus stories. Um, a rich young man comes to Jesus. Uh, and we're told that this guy, this rich young man, um, lived a very spiritual life that he followed all the rules, that he, um, he, he loved God, he cared about um, doing what God had asked him, and, uh, and Jesus even commends him for his spiritual life, which is very fascinating. We don't see that a whole lot. In, uh, in there's different kind of perspectives that Jesus has. In this moment, he specifically affirms this man and his spiritual, um, his spiritual life. So the story tells us that Jesus sees this rich young man and loves him. He sees him and he loves him. It's a very sweet sort of interaction, I think, that this guy is kind of given a bad rap a lot, but, um, but I think it's actually a very sweet scene that we see that Jesus sees him and loves him and commends him for following the rules, commends him for living this spiritual life, but Jesus tells him there's something, there's something that you're missing. And he tells this guy to go away, to sell everything that he has, to give it to the poor, and then to come back and follow Jesus. And when I imagine this story, I, I can see this sort of puzzled look on this guy's face as he hears this from Jesus. Is he like, are you serious? Like, really? And then the story tells us that that look turns to sadness, that this young guy turns around and walks away sad because he had a lot of wealth. So when I compare these two stories. They're very fascinating to me because in one occasion, one person has nothing and gives everything. And in the other case, the person has everything but gives nothing. That Jesus loves both of them. That he speaks very kindly and respectfully of both of them. That Jesus isn't condemning, he isn't antagonistic, he isn't aggressive, that he loves them, that he cares about them, but he sees something in them that he wants them to see, to understand. That Jesus knows something that we don't know, that we often forget, and he wants to help us understand. Where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. This poor woman treasured God. This young, rich man treasured his wealth and his possessions. The poor woman, she walked away poorer, but she had the gratitude and the respect 
of the God of the universe. This young man walked away rich and sad. So friends, may we be generous to better understand our hearts. May we be generous to break our selfish ambition. May we be generous so that we spend a little less on ourselves. May we be generous because we treasure God and God's way and his kingdom and his love. May we be generous because God is our treasure. So let me pray for us. Lord, I, um, Jesus, I, I appreciate your life. I appreciate these stories and the way we see you love and care for and respect people. Um, I appreciate, Jesus, that we don't see a sort of judgmental response from you or a, an attitude of like you're not good enough or that we're not good enough or the people you ran into that made mistakes or didn't have it quite right were not good enough, that your response, Jesus, was kind and loving and respectful and caring. And I, I appreciate that because uh, I know there's things in my life that aren't in line, that aren't healthy ways in which I'm actually, my selfishness is hurting me and the people around me. And I appreciate your gentle response to me. Uh, I'm thankful that um, you give us these sort of spiritual practice things that we see modeled for us in your life, certainly the way you lived, but also the way you called your people to live and the stories that we have in scripture of people using these spiritual practices not as a way to be good enough for you, to please you so that you'll accept us, but to recognize that you have accepted us, that you do love us, that we are enough, and that you've given us these gifts to help us accept ourselves to begin to look into our hearts and see the ways in which we're distracted and the ways in which we're hurting and suffering and confused to help us see through those things and begin to break those kind of chains and restrictions on our life and that I think generosity is like that that you know that you you are a generous generous God that being generous is such a good and valuable thing for us to be to offer generosity to the people around us but not from a place of earning something from you, but a place of beginning to set ourselves aside, to begin to prioritize the things that you care about. That if we're gonna love one another really well, we need to learn how to look to the interests of others. If we're gonna be a church that loves one another well and loves our community well, we need to understand the way our own motivations are broken and coming out of unhealthy places to be generous because you are generous, because you want us to share what we have to help lift people up, to help combat the injustice and the brokenness of our community, the way in which our world works that some have and very few, very many don't have. That there seems like there's not enough to go around, but there is enough to go around. We just hoard it so often as humans. And so I pray that you would Help us, even, even if, like that widow, we don't have a lot to offer, but that we have a heart of generosity to offer. Our trust in you, our treasure, which is you, we have that to offer the world, that we can show the world this love that you have, and people can begin to experience the greatest treasure, which is you and your love for us, your desire to be present with us through the difficulties that we face, through the confusion, to help us accept and know that we are loved by you, that the God of the universe created us and loves us deeply.
So Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes, that we would be known as a people that are extraordinarily generous, not people that are rich, but people that give richly, people that whatever they have, they share and they love and they open their doors and they use whatever it is they have to be a blessing to one another and to the community, that Jesus, that's the way you live your life. And I pray that you'd help us to live our lives that way too. Thank you, Jesus, for your love, for your life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.